Good morning. Just wanted to add to that one of the things that is a blessing about renting out this space is that every Sunday we set up and break down. And uh, for those of you in this first service who are in ministry in the second service or otherwise hanging around, you are invited to come up Oh, about 15 minutes after the service. We're breaking down and we're packing all this stuff up and we're loading it in um, a closet nearby. So if you'd like to join, join the fun as we're breaking down. Also, if you're interested in helping us set up, we could also use that. We set up every Sunday morning. So thankful for everyone serving in that capacity. Okay, if you could please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in John chapter 8, going through John chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Anyone need a Bible? You can raise your hand. And a couple more here in the front. So we will be again in verse 31 and 32. I'm going to be reading a few other verses. John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him and said, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, if you can skip over to verse 50, this is Jesus speaking. Again, he says, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. And then the Jews said to him, and now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Verse 54, Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him. But I know him, and if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Let's pray.
Lord, I think of the words we we just heard in the opening prayer that Bola declared. You say in your word, open your mouths wide and I will fill it. Lord, we come here to be filled. Not so, Lord, that we'll just get fat and happy, but so that we would, being filled, be able to give out to you. Lord, your word says that, Lord Jesus, you, you say that the Father is seeking those to worship him in spirit and in truth, those those who have been filled and are able to give back in worship. Lord, we can only give you what you give us first. I just pray that you fill us, Lord, that we may give back. Just pray that, Lord, for every church that's teaching the Word of God in Boston today, Lord that it wouldn't be just a religious ceremony, a man-made ritual, a social custom, but people who you are drawing in, people who you are circumcising hearts of and, and, and having them worship you and follow you and declare your praises. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So I want to begin today where, with the same words I began with last week. Man, in his fallen condition, in his fallen human condition, separated from God because of his rejection of God, is like a caged bird. I don't know if any of you had a caged bird growing up. We had one. I was a kid. We begged our mom. Come on. We want a bird. We want a bird. We promise that we, if you get it, we will take care of it every day. And we got it. My poor mom, she took care of that bird every day. But you know, you learn something by looking at a caged bird. It's elevated above the ground. It's suspended in the air. It's in a cage, though. It's able to see freedom outside the cage, even able to taste it, but not able to experience it. And, and the human soul is like that. It longs for freedom. It can, it can see it. You can taste it, but it knows it doesn't have it. The Bible says the, the, the human soul, apart from being freed by God, is, is imprisoned. It's, 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 uh, the average human being, they know, and they know they're like that. They know they're not free. They long to be free. They're not sure why um, they're not free, and they're not, they don't know where to find freedom. Now, hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, the Jewish prophets began to prophesy that a Savior would be coming, a Savior, a Messiah, someone who would save mankind, and, and sort of right in the middle, front and center of these prophecies about the Savior are prophecies that this Savior, he would restore this long-lost freedom. So that finally man would be able not only to see freedom, sort of, taste it, sort of, he'd actually be able to experience it. In the book of Isaiah, 
you have this fascinating prophecy in which God is actually speaking to the, to the Messiah, to the coming Savior. He's actually speaking to him. Remember in the first few verses of the book of John, what does it say? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And we know that Word to be Jesus. It says the Word was God and became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, when the Word, when Jesus was with God, what was He doing? What were they doing? Well, they were talking with each other. What were they saying? Well, we, we get a view into that in Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7. This is God the Father speaking to Jesus the Son, the Word. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to free captives from prison. This conversation is going on. For all eternity, this kind of conversation, the Father, God the Father speaking to God the Son. Then you see in, in chapter 49, Isaiah 49, verse 8, same thing. This is God the Father speaking to God the Son in, in, in eternity past. Again, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and they were speaking with each other. Here God is saying, I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. Now in Isaiah 61... This is another prophecy, 750 years before Jesus was born. This is Jesus, this is the word himself speaking, speaking about himself. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release from darkness and release from darkness for the prisoners. So Jesus, hundreds of years later, comes on to the scene, and in one of the most dramatic scenes of the whole Bible, you don't have to turn there, I'll read from it, it's in Luke chapter 4, it says, the very beginning of his public ministries, around 30 years old, he comes to Nazareth, goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read Luke 4.16, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, someone handed Jesus this book, the same one we were just, same out of uh, the same prophet that we were just reading about on the, project, uh, on the projection screen. It says, someone handed the book of the uh, prophet Isaiah to him, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, freedom, those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus read that. Verse 20 says, then he, Jesus, closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he said to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's doing the same kind of thing in John chapter 8, he's, except he's no longer in northern Israel where he was in Luke 4. He's, he's in Jerusalem. He's in the courts of the temple. There's a crowd gathered around him. 
And what he's saying in these verses is that I am he. I am the one that it was spoken of. He will come and set the captives free. And he says in verse 31, he says, if you abide in my word, John chapter 8, verse 31, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then he says again in verse 36, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I'm the one that the prophets spoke about. Look at verse 51. Rather, look at verse uh, 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The prophets rejoiced to see my day when I would be here proclaiming freedom. Now, we spoke last week about what freedom is. The human soul longs for freedom, doesn't, but it's a widely misunderstood thing. The average man or woman doesn't understand what it is. And there were some in the crowd in these temple courts listening to Jesus. They didn't understand what freedom was. How do we know that? Because he says in verse 32 of chapter 8 of John, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Meaning, we are free. What are you talking about? We are free. We know what freedom is and we're free. To which he responds in verse 34, most assuredly, meaning listen now and listen very carefully. I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. In verse 34, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. So we put up another translation of that. Everyone who lives for sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who lives for sin is a slave for sin. What does that mean? Well, what is sin? Sin is a substitute for God. Can we get that up, Dan? What is sin? Sin is a substitute for God. Putting something or someone in the place of God. So you can just fill in the blanks here. Uh, everyone who lives for money is a slave to money. Everyone who lives for sports is a slave to Sports. Everyone who lives for sex is a slave to sex. Everyone who lives for, for weed is a slave to it. Their, their, their day is, is uh, scheduled around the next smoke. Everyone who lives for their career is a slave to it. Everyone who lives for school is a slave to it. And then we've got even a family. Everyone who li even lives for a person. If you live even for a child, a, a, a spouse, a mother, becomes a slave to it. When you are a slave to something, what does that mean? That means that thing begins to rule your life. And so what... what in other words, that thing, if it's money, if it's your ambition, your career, if it's uh, a, a, a person, that person begins to, 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 to rule over you and to dominate your thinking 
and to preoccupy your mind. So what Jesus is saying to this crowd, and he's saying to you this morning, he's saying to you, saying to you, that he's the only thing, the only one, the only thing that you can live for which will bring freedom. And listen, living for anything else, anything else, anyone else, anything else you live for other than Jesus results in slavery. In other words, if you, if you live for anything else other than Jesus, that thing... It will begin to rule you. And, and then it will begin to steal from you. That thing will begin to take from you. And that thing will empty you. And there's only one thing that when you live for it, will not steal from you, will not take from you, will not suck you dry, will not empty you, but it will fill you. And it's not a thing, it's God. It's Jesus, the God-man. The Bible says when you live for Jesus, he will fill you. And so we heard this morning in the opening prayer, and by the way, I didn't plan this, I am the Lord your God, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. God's the only one, the only thing, for lack of a better word, that you can live for that won't end up stealing from you, taking you. No, he will pour into you. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. So Jesus says again in verse 36, so if the Son of Man makes you free, you shall be free Indeed, and, 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 and how, does he, how does he do that? He does it by taking that captivating desire, that, that desire to live for anything other than him away from you and replace it with a desire to live for him. 1 John 3, 5 says this, He appears so that he may take away our sins. Not meaning that we'll stop sinning, but the practice of sinning, the practice of, of living for sin. So uh, once again, go back to verse 24. We've been in this verse for the last few weeks because it really it gives the context of everything else here. It says, Jesus says, therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. Meaning the Lamb of God that takes away your sin, you will die in your sin. And so when, when, when Jesus said in verse 36, therefore the, if the Son makes you free, you shall be Free indeed. Um, it, 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 again, verse 24, it's believing that he is the Savior, that he's the Lamb of God, just as he was introduced by John the Baptist in John chapter 1, who takes away my sin. He's that one. He lived a perfect life in order to credit to my account. He died on the cross for my sin, so that I wouldn't have to die. He rose from the dead and ascended in the heaven so he could give me the gift of life, the gift of freedom. If the Son of Man makes you free by just simply believing and receiving him, you will be free indeed. Okay. So that is sort of where we were last, where we ended last week. But I believe, I, I just, this is just such um, an important subject. We got to get this right, this thing about freedom and what it really is and how God gives us freedom. Um, I, I want to continue now with that. And I believe at this point, at the point that uh, of, uh, of John chapter 8, 36, where, where Jesus says, 
if the Son of Man makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I believe at this point, he wants to continue talking to them about what gives them freedom. Jesus wants them to be free. He wants you to be free. He wants you to experience life. He wants to experience, uh, you to experience life the way that he uh, created you to experience life. He wants you to be free. He looks at you uh, when you are preoccupied with anything else. If you're in slavery and you're living for any other thing that is stealing from you, he wants you freed of that. And, and he wants these people free. He wants to continue talking to them about freedom, but he's interrupted. He's interrupted after verse 36. Now, if you're reading, you may ask, well, I don't see any interruption. He just continues on talking. No, I believe he was interrupted. And one of the interesting things about reading this chapter is that uh, what it doesn't record are silences. For example, skip forward to me, with me rather, to uh, verse 46. Jesus is speaking to them, and he says, which of you convicts me of sin? And, but then, as we read it, there's not a pause there. It doesn't say, and they were silent or something like that. He just continues, um, and he says, and if I tell you the, tell you, uh, the truth, why do you believe me? Well, in fact... I believe that there's a pause after that first question. Which of you convicts me of sin? And he just waits for an answer. But no one can answer. They've been looking and looking at him, trying to trap him, trying to catch him in sin, but there is no sin. There's a pause there. Until finally, he continues and says, and if... And if I tell you the truth, why do you uh, believe me? And then there's another pause. Well, I also believe there's a pause right after verse 36. Therefore, if the Son of Man makes you free, you shall be free indeed. There's a pause there, and he's interrupted. And he's not interrupted by words. The Bible says that Jesus, in fact, we've already read it previously in John, he knows our thoughts. He was interrupted by their thoughts. What were their thoughts? Shout it out, someone. What were they thinking? What were they thinking? We want to kill you. We got to kill this guy. Now, that's kind of an interruption. I, I think that's an interruption. That kind of makes it hard to continue as talking about freedom if all of a sudden he's realizing these people, they may not be saying it out loud, but he can hear it as if it was loud. They, I, we got to kill this guy. And so he addresses that. But he wants to continue talking about freedom. Because you see, there's another subject that he's got to talk about in order for them to understand freedom. There's something else he has to talk about in order for them to understand freedom. And what, what subject is that? What issue is that? The issue of death. People, man, woman children, humanity does not know freedom because their fear of death. Now he's going to get to the subject. It says in verse 51, most assuredly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. So he's going to keep on. He's going to get back to the subject of freedom because he loves them. He, he loves you. He wants you to be done with your slavery to anything living for anything other than him. But he's got to address this thing. He's, he's, he, he, he can hear it loud and clear in their minds. We've got to kill this guy. So in verse 37, he goes, I know you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me. And they're like, whoa, how's this guy know? How does he know I'm thinking about this? Because he's God. You seek to kill me because of my word has no place in you. Verse 38, I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. 
And they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children. Notice in verse 37, he says, I know you're Abraham's descendants, meaning you're related to him by blood. But in verse 39, he says, if you were Abraham's children. Now he's not talking about descendants. He's talking about children of the faith, spiritual offspring. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do, you do the deeds of your father, verse 41. And they said to him, we were not born of fornication. So that's a reference. We were not born out of marriage. It's a reference to them knowing that Jesus didn't have a biological father, but they are suggesting that his mother, Mary, committed sexual immorality, fornication. We are not born, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Verse 42, uh, best thing to do is, is ignore an insult like that, uh, which he does here. If God, Jesus said to them in verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. For I have come, not, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Silence. No one answers. Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan, just as he did in Genesis chapter 3 with Eve, he's all about lies, and his lies are directed for the purpose of getting me, getting you, getting us to live for me, (laughs) for us. And not for God. And that's what, that's the condition, that's the fallen condition of man. Jesus is speaking into it. Later on in 1 John, uh, John, the same author here, will say the whole world is under the sway of, uh, of the devil, meaning the devil is just convincing everyone to, to live for self and not for God, whoever is a Whoever lives for sin is a slave of sin. That's the work of the devil. And Jesus is just pointing that out to them. He's hearing their thoughts. We want to kill this guy. So he's, he's addressing them. Verse 45, he continues, he says, But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? Silence. And I... And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan? Now, in a Samaritan, they were, we've already seen them in John chapter 4. They made an appearance there. The Samaritans were... Uh, descendants uh, of the Jews who about, oh, six or seven hundred years before decided that they would make their own Bible and their own religion with their own priests. Uh, you have people still doing this type of thing today, but, but the Samaritans did it as well. And they lived in the same region as Jesus' mother. So again, it's an insult. They're suggesting he is a child of fornication of, from a Samaritan. I mean, they're insulting him big time. 
Verse 48 again, do we not say rightly that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? So he, he ignores the, the, the insult and he gets to the thing about a demon, which he, he does address. He, he says, I do not have a demon. But I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges, meaning there is one, God the Father, who seeks my glory and one who judges. But then he says he gets around. <laughs> Having addressed their thoughts, he gets around to the freedom thing again. And he says in verse 51, most assuredly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Jesus says similar words in John chapter 11. He tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Uh, Meaning, uh, same thing, if you believe in Jesus, you will not die in your sin, but you will be made free. Now they go on to say here in John chapter 8, let's just continue this. They say... uh, Verse 52, then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. We know now. Abraham's dead, and the prophets are also dead. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. So he doesn't, they don't say, they're quoting him here, but they're misquoting him. He had said, someone who believes in Jesus will never see death. They say, he said, never taste death. But he doesn't argue with it. I'm convinced because he agrees with it. The Bible says, um, actually we've, we, we read it in John chapter 5, that when you believe in Jesus, you immediately, present tense, pass from death to life. You immediately get eternal life. Now. <laughs> That's why at Calvary Chapel in the city, we teach that you cannot lose eternal life once it has been given to you, because by definition, eternal is eternal. You can't have eternal life for five minutes five years or 50 years, and then lose it, then it wouldn't be eternal. You pass from death to life, the Bible says. That's what in the book of Ephesians, it says when you're battling the devil, put on the crown of salvation, meaning that crown, that assurance that you have eternal life. No matter what the devil is trying to convince you of otherwise, you have it. And and what Jesus is saying here is that though the body may die, you're just going to continue on with eternal life. You will, there's no tra- transitory phase. There's no transition phase. You just immediately, conti- uh, I shouldn't say immediately, you just continue to experience that which you've also always experienced, uh, except that after you die, you experience it without that fallen body that you live in. Oh, God, bring the day quick where we can experience eternal life outside of these fallen bodies. Bible says in a, a Bible says in a, in a glorified body, we will get uh, some days. Uh, but, but Paul says to, to be absent with the body is present with the Lord, meaning as soon as you leave your earthly body, you're present with the Lord. It, 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 nothing really has changed. You still have that eternal life that you had before you died. It just continues. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Now, back to the freedom thing. He, by, 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 by saying this about death... Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. He's, ta- he's continuing to talk about freedom here. Now, why do I say that? 
Well, let's get, let's get our verse up again with the, with the blanks, 834. So everyone who lives for blank is a slave to blank. So we filled in the blank there, everyone who lives for money, everyone who lives for sex, everyone who lives for career. And there's another one you can fill in there. Everyone who lives for me is a slave to me. You become a slave to yourself. What does that mean? How can I be a slave to me? What does that look like? Listen carefully if you're taking notes. Of course, this is the human condition, right? In one form or another, not, not only are we living for, uh, a fallen man living for something else, but supremely it's about what? It's about living for, for me. That's what the devil got Eve to do. Everyone who lives for me is a slave to me. What does that live like? What, what does that look like, rather? If you're taking notes, when I become a slave to me, I become a slave to fear. When I am preoccupied about me, I become a slave to fear. And that's where the fear of death comes in. Hebrews 2.15 says this, Jesus freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Now, I don't know about what your testimony is. Fear of death was my testimony. I mean, I, I, I among other things, I, I uh, before I started, uh, gave my life to the Lord and started walking with the Lord, I lived in fear of death. I mean, there were literally weeks that went by that I would wake up with the fear and go to bed with the fear. And then it would go away and come back a few months later. The Bible says that Jesus freed those who all their life were held in slavery by the fear of death. So when I become a slave to me, I become a slave to fear. Because I'm so preoccupied about me, I'm, I'm just thinking about, oh no, I'm going to die. Someday this me is going to die. I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do. I have all these dreams about me, all these things that I want to do, things that I want to do with my life. But what if I die? What if it's all cut off and you get consumed by fear of death? Can we get that back up, though? It said, but it says that, uh, uh, it says that but, but Jesus freed us from that. They freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by the, their fear of death. It's one of the things with me that just was, it just vanished, never to return. Very early on in my life with Christ, he freed me from that. But, but sort of wrapped up, what, you know, anyone who lives for me becomes a slave of fear. Wrapped up in this, this fear of death is, is the fear of man generally. The Bible says that the fear of man is a snare. It brings a snare. It's a trap. A trap of what? What are you trapped in? Fear of man. You, you, you're trapped in a lack of freedom. The sense of... And, you know, you're a caged bird. You can see, how, you can see uh, what life's supposed to live like, but you can't because you're in bondage to fear. And then there's just generally wrapped up in the fear of death is the, just the fear of the future. Like, what's going to happen in the future? What, what if my life is cut uh, short? What if my, something happens to my health? What, what if something happens to this person next to me, my wife, who I just love so much? What happens to her? Or, or these kids that I just love so much? What, what hap- what's going to happen to me if something happens to them? That, there's that fear there. 2 Timothy 1.7 says what? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And you know, what a, you know how a sound mind thinks? A sound mind understands the goodness of God. That's how you get a sound mind. You become well-grounded in promise after promise after promise, two or three hundred times in the Bible, this kind of promise, God says, I, says, I am good. He's speaking into fear. 
I live for me, I become a slave for me. Listen, God has plans for you. He has plans for every one of you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared a work for you. And you know what fear does? Fear prevents you from ever experiencing the plans that God has for a human being. You, you, you become so uh, I, I, you, you become so captivated by fear. You become so cautious, so wary. You begin saving up for the future just in case something happens, um, and, and just hoarding for yourself. Uh, you don't get out of your comfort zone because oh no, something may happen to me or something. Someone who loves me, even though God's calling you in it, He's calling you into to, to to live a life that's distinct, not indistinct like every other human being on the planet earth but he wants a distinct life from you but no 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 because of fear you're satisfied with just being like everybody else like god said to samson says you cut that hair off you will become like every other man and what fear does it makes us like every other man but god has something so different for you Look again in verse 50, John chapter 8. Jesus says, I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. God seeks the glory of Jesus. And you know how he seeks it, among other things? Through your life. Through your life. A reflection of Jesus' glory. You know what is then when we don't allow Jesus to draw us into freedom, to let go of fear, we're dim, dim lights. Jesus says, I am the light of the world and I live in you. But we're that, I tell you what that fear does. That fear just turns off that light. That fear makes it really dim, so dim, people don't even see anything of the reflection of God in our life unless we allow Jesus to draw us in the great I am verse 36 if the son of man makes you free you are free indeed the subject of freedom is a big deal because it's tied right in to the glory of God the glory that God is seeking after seeing in your life And guess what? God's more interested in your freedom than you are because he is seeking after the, the glory of his son. I want to call the worship team up at this point. If you've been asked to pray, if you could also come up as well. As we close our, our, our service with a worship song, If there's anything in your life, if, 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 if there's something in the, in the message today that just stirred up your spirit, and you know that you're not free, because there's a fear there. There's a fear there that's preventing you from experiencing that freedom, from reflecting the glory of Christ. And you'd like prayer for it. I want you to come up. I want to pray about it. Now, in addition to that, the Bible does talk about a, 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 a freedom from being on the road that leads to hell, to eternal destruction. 
That's what he's talking about in verse 24. It says, if you do not believe that I am the great I am God, the God-man, who is the Savior, the Messiah, you will die in your sin. That's another kind of freedom there. How can a person be free if they're on the, the, on the road to eternal separation from God? They can't be. If you have never believed in Jesus in that way, receiving him as the Savior, the Son of Man who sets you free, the Bible says it's, uh, it's a transaction which, which happens uh, in a very simple manner. You, you say, okay, Jesus, I get it. You're... You're the son of God. You're God. I am not. I need you. I'm trapped in this prison. I want to get out. I understand that you're the the son of God. You're the way of salvation. Come into my heart and free me. If that's you as well, come up. I'll be up here to pray with you as the worship team begins. So why don't you rise uh, for the closing worship song? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship. And if you'd like to come up and pray, please do. Father, we just thank you. Lord Jesus, how that this, this, these words of yours may just saturate our minds and our hearts and our lives this week, every day, if the Son of Man makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Lord, I, I just pray by the Holy Spirit you would continue and finish that work in anybody this morning who doesn't understand that freedom. That freedom is in you. That you are the sole giver of life. Your word says so. so. And how can someone have freedom if they don't have life? Just pour your life in to us, Lord. Continue that as we worship you, Lord, as we pray. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.